Good evening. This is Robert Scribbler. Welcome to another episode of my ongoing modern climate fantasy series, Helki. For this episode, I will be reading for you Helki 6, Exercising the Demon Wolf. But before I get into that, I'd like to briefly I'll let you know that you can read chapters at my workshop. It's scribblersfantasticalworkshop.wordpress.com. And here we also have various bits of map art that chronicle the journey of Myra Helke and her mage parents, Beatrice and Mori, as they involve themselves in an ongoing conflict between Earth, Heaven, and Hell. So without further ado, I will read for you Helki 6, Exercising the Demon Wolf. Beatrice watches as Myra does an acrobatic hand plant, suspends for a second, turns to look at her one last time, and then is snatched into Hellgate's opening maw. A part of me goes with you, Beatrice thinks. But she knows it's more than that. She's sending her only daughter into hell, with zero knowledge of the secret plan they have to break her out. Only trust and Myra's self-made mirror specter guide that will awaken when she enters hell. A guide to give Myra just the amount of information she needs. One to help keep Myra alive and doing what she must as she moves through that most vicious of worlds. It's all part of their grand strategy, a plan Beatrice dares not even think of, lest now the stray recollection be caught by a sensitive listener. In front of her, the ridiculous Ivan Volkov still sits on his golden toilet, his face in blank shock at her shout at the Pride Eaters. They're invisible to him for now. But given how much sin they've already slurped from Volkov, his blissful ignorance won't last long. Better now for him to know early so he has a chance to understand. Not that it's likely to do much good. Volkov is probably a lost cause, probably. But she'd been surprised before. Una, Beatrice shouts, gathering the power of her curses. She rushes forward, making the bound across the marble in two leaps. She spins in midair between two demons, lifting their claws to attack. They have semi-form here. A hit from any one of those wicked claws could be lethal. Hunger ignites in their eyes as she channels the curse energy to the tip of her blade. It gleams, star-like. Then she slams the rapier tip flatwise into Volkov's forehead. The curse energy transfers into him with a white-hot flare. Ivan can see the demons now. His shock turns to frenzy. He stands up, tries to run, but is tripped up by his pants. He falls face first in front of the bidet, cracking his elbow on its golden rim. He howls in pain. The place where she channeled Una into his forehead is an angry red. That's going to bruise. She's holding the curse in place for him. He has no mage talent as such, but his demon energy is strong and it grasps the curse hard in its jaws. He's muttering now as one of the demons bends its head down, ethereal spittle dropping on Volkov. Red, 
Red, he stammers as he notices the wisp energy wafting off him. He looks at Beatrice. What did you do to me? He shouts as he crawls away, whimpering from the pride eaters. He has apparently forgotten his pants there, down around his ankles. Mori springs into motion, racking the slide of his overgrown rifle. He sights in on the first pride eater. The weapon erupts in a hail of blue-white bullets. Its ammunition is heaven-blessed curse energy, Mokdo curses. The bullets rip through one of the pride eaters. Great holes appear in its form. These grow larger as it looks down at itself in shock. It charges toward Mori, but the rapidly growing holes consume its form in a bright flash of falling sparks after just three steps. The second pride eater leaps for Beatrice. She sees its enormous claws tearing toward her as she rises from her lunging curse delivery to Ivan's forehead. She's overextended, so her best move is to spin away. She does a barrel roll in midair as she avoids a series of vicious slashes, then nimbly lands on one gray booted foot as the other points back behind her. The rapier tip shoots forward like a comet. Ivan, she shouts, you've endangered your soul. These demons hunger for your hubris. Ivan's face melts into panic disbelief. Yes, Ivan, the monsters in your closet really do exist. A repost strikes one of the Pride Eater's clawed hands. It ripples with white light, sparks flow from it. Then the hand, claws, and everything bursts into red mist. Pride Eater pauses in surprise, serious error. Mori sights in on the thing's head, a brief tri trigger squeeze, and another blue-white bullet erupts from the rifle's barrel, its flash casting shadows across Mori's angular face. The bullet makes a perfect purple-rimmed circle in the hollow near the demon's cavernous nose. The hole spools outward in a widening spiral of sparks like one of those 4th of July spinners. Now headless and handless, the demon falls. It twitches once, then explodes in a red spark outburst. The sparks arc through the air like a flower of flares. Shit, Mori says. Beatrice turns her head. The third Pride Eater has caught up to Ivan. He is raving in Russian, then switches to English as the demon sinks an ethereal claw into him. Not this soul! Protected! Was baptized! Baptized! His tone has turned to pleading, his eyes imploring to Beatrice, as if she were somehow both cause of his current trouble and source of possible mercy. Unfortunately for Ivan, he is not protected. Not in the least. To the contrary, he summoned these demons, his earth-wrecking work at Furzabank culminating in self-deifying daily dumps from the Golden Toilet, on top of Berlin drew them the way roadkill draws carrion birds. Pride Eaters, some of Asmodeus's favorite nasty errand boys, these were the things that came to Ivan day after day after day. Over time, one of these nasties had managed to craft a spirit tether between it and Ivan, a demon's dog chain for his hubris hound. Beatrice can see it as a trailing red lead of mist rising from Ivan. The wound he now suffers should, would typically be lethal in a variety of ways, but for the spirit tether, tether instant heart attack, aneurysm, hemorrhage, 
Any number of things, all resulting in death untraceable to its demonic source, would have befallen him. But for poor tethered Ivan, the effects of such a wound can be at once less final and more horrific. A pride eater's long claws are very useful for gouging away a wisp's protective coating, for developing its tether, and for using that tether to invade the wisp, possessing body, mind, and spirit. Of course, the natural protection over Ivan's wisp was already greatly weakened by his own harmful thoughts and acts long before the demons arrived. The pride eater just came in like a vulture swooping down on a dying creature to finish the job. Baptized, he wheezes pitifully as the impossibly long claw sinks deeper, questing beneath Ivan's flesh. Then the demon possession takes hold. Pride Eater shimmers. Beatrice is bounding toward it, lashing out with her rapier. Mori is swinging his rifle around, drawing a bead. Sword and bullet strike toward the demon in unison. Pride Eater flickers, wriggling as if suddenly consumed by thousands of worms, then shoots into Ivan's body. The mage's weapons meet only air, where it once stood over Ivan. Oh, holy hell! Mori curses again. His weapon's magazine is empty. With practiced motion, he ejects, pulls another blue magazine from his pocket, inserts it into the chamber, and pulls back the charging handle. Ivan is writhing on the ground. His body is now flickering, bulging, growing larger. There is a sickening crackle of muscles and bones as they rearrange. A fur like thousands of black metal hairpins shoot out of his flesh. His jaws elongate. Great teeth sprout and grow pointed. His eyes yellow. Four limbs become four legs. A row of larger, wicked, and barbed spines emerges from his back. A tail sprouts from his rear. The tail's end is tipped in barbs. At the shoulder, he is now easily five feet tall, from tip of nose to tip of tail, fifteen feet. He's transformed into some horrific mashup of wolf, demon, porcupine, and stegosaurus all rolled up together. He lifts his maw and lets forth a great howl. The sound echoes through worlds. It spirals down into the Hellgate. It crosses the darkness and enters the Arch of Time. Into the wastes of Infernia, where Myra is now just beginning to get her bearings, it roars. Out beyond the terrifying metal madness that is Mechanum, it clangers. Through the battles now raging in Avernum, it explodes. Past the terrible slave prisons of Carcharis, it keens. And echoing at last across the great spires of Asmodeus's impenetrable fortress, Invicti, on the shores of the burning purple ocean of hell, it wails. Somewhere in that great black fortress, a curse rider hears the call of Ivan the Wolf, puts on his wide-brimmed hat, and begins to make his way down to Asmodeus's stables in search of his nightmare. For at Ivan's possessed summons, a new curse hunt is begun. The curse hunt for Beatrice and Mori. 
Beatrice feels shivers over her body at the sound. She knows the howl entered the gate. She knows in her gut this is a summons. She knows half of Furzabank HQ must have heard it as well, for Ivan is now a hybrid demon-human. Not just a mere possession, but a full-on transformation only the likes of the Pride Eaters could bring out. He exists both as ethereal, which is that shadow realm that demons typically ha inhabit on Earth, and as corpus, alive and in the flesh just rang one hell of an alarm bell, Maurice says, sighting in on Ivan the wolf. You handle the exorcism curse. Beatrice points her blade at the massive wolf demon. It is lowering its head, still getting its bearings, still becoming accustomed to its new form. They have time yet, mere moments, but it should be enough. The transformation hasn't fully taken hold. Exorcisamus te, omnis immundus spiritus, omnis satanica protestus, omnis incursio infernalis adversary, she encants as she points her sword blade at the demon wolf. A kind of bow shock of light has formed in front of her sword. Una, Mori shouts, and the bow shock extends to his rifle. Ivan the wolf lowers his head and growls. It is not like a normal wolf growl. This comes out more as a grating cough growl. Omnis legio, omnis congregation execta diabolica. Beatrice continues as the bow shot grows brighter. Outside the chamber of the golden toilet, there is a shouting and a pounding of feet. Guards are at the outer door. Ivan takes an awkward step forward. There is terrible power in those muscles. He doesn't know how to use them yet. He crouches to pounce, but his legs splay too wide on the slick marble flooring. Ergo, Draco, maledicte et omnis legio diabolica, ajuramus te. Beatrice finishes. Together, her weapon and Mori's phase fully into the ethereal realm. They will target the demonic part of Ivan with this abjuration's full force. Its bow shock is now extreme, a bright light that briefly turns the Furzabank HQ executive water closet into a lighthouse tower. Beatrice lunges forward. Mori shoots. The still awkward demon wolf as Ivan lashes out with iron fanged jaws. Sword and bullets strike the beasts, carrying with them their bow shocks of light. Ivan's fangs clamp down on Beatrice's leg. The exorcism rocks through Ivan's body. It evaporates all demonic flesh it touches, leaving only human flesh behind. The Pride Eater is excised. Nothing of it remains. Ivan shrinks back to his original shape and stature. He is completely naked. All his clothes are in shreds on the floor. Beatrice cries out in pain, looking down at her leg wound oozing blood and poison. Einfacht, halt! The guards have kicked the frosted doors open and are drawing their pistols. Time to go, Mori shouts. He grabs Ivan with one arm. Beatrice follows but has to limp as searing pain shoots up her leg. 
Mori levels his gun at the globular glass window, waits one more second for the exorcism curse to fully fall away, and fires. The far larger than normal bullets riddle it with enormous holes. It swiftly loses integrity and showers down, filling the room with shards. Permanent course curses woven into their clothing protect them from the sharp, though mundane, rain. The guards, however, are not quite so lucky. They flinch, cover their heads, and slip back down the stair for protection. Ivan is shaking, incoherent, covered in little nicks from the glass. An ugly black scar has formed where the pride eater entered him. He is yammering Russian English and occasionally tries to howl. Beatrice takes his other arm as she and Mori run to the edge of the tower. Dropping all other curses, they jump off while yelling "Pluma!" together, and then "Una!" as Ivan starts to fall faster. The shared curse energy causes them to descend at a gradual, if still gut-wrenching, pace. It's like a fast lift down. Well, you wanted to get Asmodeus's attention to draw it away from Myra. I think we did that. Mori says as they glide toward the street with Ivan behind, between them. Not in this way, Beatrice replies. That howl ring all through hell, and into half of Berlin. Who would have expected that Ivan here had gone so far? I thought if we convinced him to come with us after seeing the demons, he might take us up. Mori gives his crow cackle laugh. Ha! You think he'd be scared into doing the right thing? No plan survives contact with the enemy. He shifts his gaze to her leg. That looks bad. Beatrice nods. It is. Some of his venom got me. We need a healer. She can feel it burning in her veins. Her head is already starting to feel a little heavy. The outer border, borders of her vision growing dull and blurred. They land on the pavement. Beatrice stumbles. A few onlookers watch in stunned surprise. One points at Ivan. In the distance, sirens begin to blare. Far above, flashlights are gleaming through the wreckage of what was once the Furza Bank HQ executive water closet. Ivan suddenly seems to realize his surroundings and covers his private parts while making a scrunched-up expression of embarrassment. Mori throws his jacket over the Russian after transferring his ammo to his jeans pockets. He's light on it anyway. Jacket is rather long, and Ivan is rather short. The combination results in a modicum of modesty, even if Ivan looks like he's wearing a high-cut onesie. I call this a serious wardrobe improvement, Mori says, cuffing the still confused Ivan on the shoulder. Man, pink is definitely not your color. Beatrice swoons a little as her vision starts to darken for a second. She's not in a laughing mood. That look on Myra's face is still stuck in her head. Piece of her is still with Myra down in that hell. She looks at her leg. Left a piece of hell in me too, she says, imagining it's pretty incoherent but not caring. Let's get moving before you have two invalids to deal with, she says, lifting her head to Mori. It takes far too much effort. Well, it's a good thing we know a healer, isn't it? Mori replies. Come on, it's off to Marion Kirch to see our good old friend Sadie. Glad we had a backup plan. And that concludes Helki Six. Thank you for joining me, and we'll be reading for you Helki Seven next week. I look forward.
forward to meeting you again soon. Take care and good night.